out. Let's see if I can get this working. Sorry. I just might ask someone up there just to click to that first slide for me. Uh, no, back one. Yep, that one. Perfect. Thank you. Um, as we uh, begin this morning, everyone, it's good to think everyone has their own uh, unique worldview, the way they see the world, their own kind of set of values and priorities that they look at the world through. It's as though we've all got our own set of glasses on that we're, we're looking out and we all see it in our own way. And although we, we, we are like this, the reality is we're also very much impacted by our culture around us. Uh, it's the air that we breathe. And I, I imagine if an alien arrived uh, in, Austra- in Australia or in Sydney and wanted to kind of work out what is really important to these people? What are their values and priorities? Perhaps they pick up a paper like uh, the Sydney Morning Herald uh, from last week trying to work out what this, uh, what this group of people value and prioritise. They'd see that uh, inside Australia's flawed war that these people don't like each other. There's lots of wars. Uh, they'd read that Brad Pitt is the new king of Hollywood. Okay, so uh, Hollywood and, and this, is, this is their king. Okay, Brad Pitt, that's interesting. They'd uh, turn over the back and they'd see that this, uh, this group of people get very excited about little red balls uh, and uh, chasing them around a field. And uh, as they look through, lots of other types of little balls. They're very interested uh, in these games that they play and lots of people watch them. Uh, and as you, as you open the paper up, out would fall all these big kind of chunks of booklets. And the first one you look at is this very, very thick one. And it has all in it these beautiful houses uh, that they... Uh, that they, they advertise. So these houses where they live are really important to these people. Uh, a brochure on travel, beautiful world that they live in. Uh, these people like to travel. Uh, another one on schools. Schools must be really important. Education, that, that, that's, good. that's good. Oh, and another one on travel. These people really do like to travel. Um, well, you would start to get a bit of an idea for what this society, what this community values. And although we don't like to admit it, our culture does impact us. Uh, and we are impacted by it. Well, as we come to the Sermon on the Mount today, as James mentioned earlier, it can sound unrealistic to our ears as it did to that group of university students because its values are so radically different to our society's values. It can even sound like an imaginary world uh, with an imaginary life in it. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew so far, we have seen that God is with us. In Jesus, God's son has arrived. The promised king of the saviour of the world has arrived. And then this king begins to teach the values of his kingdom, the worldview of his kingdom. And it's like he, he gives us a new set of glasses to put on. Now, uh, these are a bit blurry. And so initially this, this kingdom is, is very blurry and it, it does seem very unrealistic and it's hard for us to kind of comprehend It's a little bit like in this picture here. Here is uh, this old lady. We're looking at this picture. And then we put on our kingdom of God glasses and it all kind of changes and she becomes a beautiful princess and we 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 take them off and, and back she is. So that's kind of what's happening this morning as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we don't have time to go through the whole uh, five chapters five to seven and so we're just looking at the very first little bit the Beatitudes the famous Beatitudes and what we want to do as we go through this is see reality through the eyes of Jesus and before we look at these Beatitudes it's worth noting uh, the structure of it and important words the, the word blessed which which comes each time blessed is blessed is a, a better translation for that is 
favoured or approved of by God. Uh, Because the idea of blessing, although it has that idea of happiness, be happy, uh, it's part of it. It's, it's, it's more than that. Favoured by God, it's, it's more about a status with God. Blessed. Favoured are those rather than a feeling. Now, it's also worth noting the, the order of the Beatitudes. There's a real sense of progression. The order is, is important. It's not just kind of randomly these eight Beatitudes thrown down. The order seems to be really important. Uh, let's have a look at verse 3, uh, the first Beatitude. And the last beatitude, they both say, the first beatitude says, after blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in the last beatitude, in verse 10, it finishes with, again, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it's like we have a sandwich, top of the piece of bread and the bottom of the piece of bread, and they both mention this, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that is important as we we look at it. And then in it, there are two groups of four. There's eight in all, two groups of four, and they both end, these group of four, with the word righteousness. Have a look at verse, at the fourth beatitude in verse six. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the eighth beatitude in verse 10 ends with, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So we see that righteousness is going to be really important uh, in these beatitudes. Well, enough about patterns. Uh, let's get into it. Now, normally I, I like a nice, you know, kind of three-point sermon, but today we have to, we have, to do, have an eight-point sermon. We have to have all eight points. Uh, so I have to be fairly brief on some of them. Now, the first beatitude is favoured are the poor in spirit. And this is really important, being the first one. It is the door. It's, it's the gate into the kingdom of heaven. So it's crucial that we understand this beatitude. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? As we read uh, Matthew, it's helpful to kind of keep looking back to the Old Testament, uh, particularly the Psalms and Isaiah, because they're reference points for Matthew to help us to understand, to give us background. And the Psalms are really important. So King David was described as a man who was poor in spirit. And we get a reference to this in Psalm 40, this idea of poor in spirit. It says in in Psalm 40, verse 17, David says, But as for me, I am poor and needy. I am poor in spirit. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. So here is this king who says he is poor in spirit, that he needs God's help. So to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge that we are spiritually bankrupt, that we're in the red, with God, and God must rescue us and save us uh, to, 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 to get out of that spiritual bankruptcy. And I'm reminded of that famous hymn, The Rock of Ages, which says, Nothing in, an, in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's what it means to be spiritually bankrupt. And a great example that Jesus gives um, in the New Testament is the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector as they go up to the temple to pray. And you you might know the story well. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I earn. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me a sinner. The tax collector was poor in spirit and the result, Jesus said, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And in my experience, it's this first beatitude that stops people coming to Christ. They're not prepared to humble themselves. And we are naturally very proud and comfortable people. And to to humble ourselves before God and call out for help is very difficult to do. Uh, When I was growing up, I used to, at school, and would look at the Christian group. I wasn't a Christian until I was 22. I used to look at the Christians and I think, they only have God. They only want God because they need a crutch. And I looked at it negatively. But then as you think about it, when when was a crutch ever a bad thing? Particularly if your crutch is God and he's prepared to come and help you in times of difficulty. So when we recognise that we're spiritually bankrupt, we're in the red before God, that we're poor before him, there is hope for us. As the end of verse 3 says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the way into the kingdom of heaven, to God's family, as we repent and turn to Jesus. And we enter that small gate that Jesus talks about a little bit later in Matthew, that narrow road that only a few enter, while the other road is broad and wide where many go. Now, as we become aware of our spiritual bankruptcy, a natural response is to to mourn. And that leads us to the next beatitude. Favoured are those who mourn. Now, this is not about personality type. I'm not someone that cries or, you know, I'm stiff upper lip or I'm, I'm kind of shed a tear quite easily. It's about mourning over sin. And an example, a story that I love was um, back in the 1700s when a famous preacher, George Whitfield, was uh, preaching near Bristol. And uh, he was preaching to a group of tough coal miners. These guys were, were really tough and vile, apparently. And on February the 17th, 1739, Whitfield saw these coal miners come out, up out of their mines and he said to them, well, he was, before he said to them, he was very afraid of what he was about to do. And he raised his voice and from 100 yards away from them, he called out, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now the miners, they stopped and stared at this person holding this book 100 yards away. There's a picture of George Whitfield. And this young voice sounded out again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the miners came closer and listened. And he told them a story that made them laugh. They hadn't heard preachers make jokes before, which got their attention. Um, Most had never actually heard a preacher before. Well, about 200 of them gathered around as he spoke of hell as being as black as their coal pits and of the certainty of judgment. He talked about Jesus, who was a friend of publicans and sinners, and that Jesus came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He spoke of the cross and of the love of God. And as he did, he brushed tears away from his eyes. And suddenly he noticed tears coming out from the eyes of a young man on his right. These tears were forming a pale streak down his grimy face. And then he saw on his left an old bent miner who also began to shed tears. And more and more of them, these tough miners began to shed tears. White gutters made by their tears down their black cheeks. Whitfield says, as these tough and vile coal miners shed tears over their sins. Well, the men came back the next day and they brought their family and friends with them. There were 2,000 of them. A few days later, there were 5,000. Just a week later, there were 20,000 people hearing George Whitfield preach. Do we weep over our sins? Do we weep for the sins of our city? 
Well, the next beatitude is the one that has confused me the most. Uh, as I find it really hard to take off my world glasses and, and put on my, my kingdom glasses for this one, favoured are the meek. Um, because in our world, meek equals weak. Uh, the Oxford Dictionary, which I looked up, says quiet, gentle, easily imposed on, submissive. Kind of very weak language. Uh, but again, the best place for us to look to get a good understanding of this is, is, is back in the Old Testament. And Psalm 37 particularly gives us a psalm about meekness, uh, about David and meekness. It's a beautiful psalm. And it finishes with, it says, or part, part way through it, it says, but the meek will inherit the land, which is a direct, directly referred to in the Beatitude, and enjoy peace and prosperity. And if we read the part before it, about meekness. It says, it is those who wait for the Lord. They don't fret um, when the wicked succeed. Uh, They refrain from getting angry easily when we don't get our own way because they know that in the end, the the wicked will be no more and the meek will inherit the earth. So this attitude is completely upside down in our world, isn't it? Because it is a stand up for yourself, Uh, first in, best dressed, self-assertive culture, my rights and the idea of meekness, others before self is completely countercultural. And this attitude is just so hard in practice. I find it really hard. When someone rudely cuts in on you on the road to be uh, calm or takes our parking spot, our parking spot in the shops or is rude to us or criticises unfairly about something about us or what we've done. We think, how dare they? And we stress, we get agitated, we fret, get angry and lose our patience. It is difficult to be meek. But Jesus says, favoured are the meek. Now in these first three Beatitudes that we've looked at, you may have noticed that there's a, there's a sense of emptiness, uh, kind of passiveness about them so far. It's fairly kind of gloomy in a way, being spiritually poor, mourning over sin, meekly accepting unfavourable situations. It's a picture of brokenness. But then in in the fourth beatitude, it's as though there is a gear shift uh, and we move from this kind of emptiness to this desire for fullness. Uh, And we see that in the fourth beatitude in verse 6. Have a look at verse 6 where it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So there is this desire for fullness. We naturally desire fullness for sat- to be satisfied. Not with the pleasures and treasures of this world that the world offers and that we read about in our weekly newspapers and news, pleasures of money and power and sex, but a fullness of righteousness. What is righteousness? And, and, and then we, we see in the fifth, sixth and seventh beatitude what this righteousness looks like. So in the vo- fourth beatitude, as we consider, what does it mean? to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This really important kind of pivotal point in the Beatitudes, the most natural definition in the Beatitudes is the next three Beatitudes that come, the fifth, sixth and seventh one, which say says the righteous are merciful, the righteous are pure in heart, the righteous are peacemakers. And these are so helpful, these Beatitudes, as we go into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount because they, they give us a window and they help us to kind of understand the, the right the way to view them, the right foundation to have. So it's really helpful for us to, 
to kind of start here. Well, the, beati- the fifth beatitude in verse 7 says, favoured are the merciful. Okay, this attitude of action of righteousness. So far the blessings have been for, for these beatitudes. Uh, the first one, with the poor in spirit, is verse 3, that they'll enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, they'll be comforted. Verse 5, they'll inherit the earth. Verse 6, they'll be filled with righteousness. Uh, and as this person receives, in a sense, these blessings of the kingdom of great mercy, they have a desire to be merciful to others. There's a story that I love of a young man uh, who rejected his parents and he left home. He ran away. He finally decided that he would go home, but he thought that his parents would not accept him, that they, they would reject him. And so he sent a message to his parents and said, if you want me to come home, can you please put a yellow ribbon on the old oak tree in town so that I'll know when I see that that you want me to come home? Anyway, he, he's on the train and he's heading back to, to his hometown and he couldn't bear to look out the window to see if there was a yellow ribbon there or not. And there was a passenger with him and he said, can you tell me if there is a yellow ribbon on the old oak tree in the town? And the passenger, the man responded, no, there are hundreds of yellow ribbons. That is mercy. And as you receive mercy like that, And as we receive mercy like that from God, from being spiritually bankrupt in the red to being shown mercy and forgiveness through Jesus, we cannot but respond in mercy to others. We cannot but show mercy to all kinds of people, not just people like ourselves, but people unlike ourselves, to the unlovely, to the the helpless, to the miserable, to the people that really get under our skin, even to our enemies. We will seek to show mercy because we have been shown such mercy from God the Father. Beatitude 6. Favoured are the pure in heart. Now Jesus says a little bit later in Matthew, this is what he says about the heart. It's not not too glamorous. Um, In the Bible, the heart is the centre of our being. It's who we are. It's, it's, It's our kind of soul. And this is what Jesus says about the heart. He says, The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. But as we look at this beatitude, although we're discouraged by our our hearts, um, it is such a motivator. Because as we see in verse verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, this is not going to be true until we're in heaven, but for those who are pure in heart, they will see God. And we experience that now in our fellowship with God. So if our hearts are pure and we don't have evil thoughts, we'll experience a deep fellowship with God. And the truth is that evil hearts, it will impact our relationship with God and our fellowship with him. So we need to stop and we need to interrogate our hearts, which is always really hard to do, to kind of get the, the magnifying glass out and kind of consider what's going on in there. What do you think about when your mind slips into neutral? What are the thoughts that most regularly and naturally come into your mind? What do you want more than anything else in the world? And what and who do you love the most? And what extent do 
your actions and words give an accurate reflection of what is actually going on in your hearts. We need to analyse our hearts because Jesus wants us to have pure hearts. Imagine a church where everyone had pure hearts, where our thoughts and attitudes towards the world, towards each other were pure. We didn't judge others. Uh, We didn't have evil or lustful thoughts towards other people. We didn't seek revenge or harbour bitterness. We had a purity of thought to other people, those like us and unlike us, those we get on with and those we don't get on with. Well, that is what Jesus' desire is for Norwest. Beatitude 7. Favoured other peacemakers. God is the supreme peacemaker. God came and made peace through Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Now, I remember when I became a Christian as a 22-year-old, one of the things I did in my first year or two was I went to a church AGM, uh, which we have in a couple of weeks. And I was, I was kind of looking forward to this annual general meeting. I've been to a church AGM before. I kind of thought this might be interesting, be a bit different to kind of meetings of, in the business world. And I can still vividly recall this AGM, uh, sadly for all the wrong reasons. Um, as I watched and observed these older Christians arguing with each other and fighting with each other about matters. I I was just in shock. I couldn't believe it, that this was happening in the church, that it was not distinctive from meetings that were held elsewhere. And I kind of thought, how can Christians behave like this? And I was very close as kind of, you know, a young 22-year-old, you know, kind of full of uh, boldness, to stand up and say, this is not right. We should not be behaving like this. But sadly, I I wimped out uh, and I didn't do that. I don't know whether I should have or not. But we must be peacemakers. Whether in our churches, whether in our offices, our schools or our homes, we must be peacemakers. Would your work colleagues or your family members describe you as a peacemaker, someone that seeks to throw water onto the fires? Or are you someone that throws a bit of petrol, get things going a bit. Well, we are to be peacemakers. And this is hard. And I think one of the best ways to encourage ourselves in being a peacemaker is to become more of a gospel peacemaker, Um, to share the gospel, to have this heart for gospel peacemaking, as we heard the wonderful story from Bruce this morning and Kelly. As we kind of start to look around at others as, as needing the gospel, This is such a motivator for overlooking people's faults and things that we don't like about them and having the love that God has for them to want to welcome them into his family, into his kingdom, to overlook those small hurts and insults, to be peace gospel peacemakers. Now, as we move to the eighth and final beatitude, there is a a final gear shift. Uh, It's more like the, the brakes have been slammed on in the car here. It's a a sudden jolt. As it says, favoured are the persecuted. Think what? Uh, And this is where we really need our kingdom of God glasses on to understand. As if you live this life of righteousness, being merciful, being pure in heart, being peacemakers, you'll often not receive praise but persecution. And this is a real surprise because you would think Christian righteousness, that people would be pretty happy about that generally but it does also get up the nose of people and they might say he's a do-gooder for not swearing in the office or at school Uh, or he's a do-gooder for not 
not laughing at dirty jokes. And if you talk about Jesus and the officer on the schoolyard, you'll be mocked behind your back probably, but maybe to your face. So we shouldn't be surprised that those who live this kingdom life will be persecuted. Now, not so significantly in our part of the world, but still we are persecuted. So don't lose heart. Verse 10 says, Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus considers this beatitude so important that he expands on it in verses 11 and 12. And I imagine these final words of the Sermon of the Beatitudes would be such a comfort to so many Christians around the world today. There are hundreds and thousands of Christians who are being persecuted severely for their faith, who are in prisons right now, who are being tortured, who are being threatened with death and are being killed. These verses would just be such an encouragement to them as they go through their persecution. Let me read them. It says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they have persecuted. Now, as we leave the introductory Beatitudes and we enter the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7, it's easy to get discouraged. And the bar is high as the rest of the sermon comes. Um, do not murder. Do not even get angry. And we've, we've, we know how high it is. And we can think, fail, fail, fail. And so we need to keep returning to these Beatitudes to dwell on them. And we often forget that about the Sermon on the Mount. This is where it starts. And back to Beatitudes 1 to 3, which recognise our spiritual bankruptcy, the need to mourn over our sins, the importance of being meek. And as we we do that and we begin to hunger for righteousness, it it starts to, to change us and empower us again as we look out at our world and seek to be merciful and to be pure in heart and to be peacemakers. And as we do that, we will be persecuted. So to conclude, it's important to see this part of Matthew's Gospel as like a a compass for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and the rest of the book to to set our, our hearts in the right direction, to see reality through the eyes of Christ and to keep coming back to them and keep realigning our heart to see things Jesus' way and to begin to desire his way and living his values for his kingdom. Well, let's pray that God would give us his great help as we seek to do this. Father God, we, as we come to the Sermon on the Mount, we, we recognise our failures, that we struggle so hard to be like this, to live these values. So we just thank you for these introductory words to your sermon that blessed, fortunate, favoured are those who are poor in spirit, who are spiritually bankrupt. We thank you that as we start there that you transform us, that you forgive us, that you show us mercy. We pray that as we see that, that our view of the world and others would be changed so that we would be like Christ, that we would be salt and light in our world and that we would glorify the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.